Welcome to The Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Rabbi B. This is The Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Right, everybody, welcome back to Dr. Dan's Meaning Project podcast and Rabbi B's Soul Centered podcast. We are getting together today to uh, well to continue our collaboration and to chat a little bit more to share with you um, what we've got planned for 2022. So, B, how you been? Hey, Dr. Dan, um, good, good. It's been a minute since we've been together on these. Uh, energizing podcasts. I really have missed it. It's been like well over a month. And uh, and also my, my viewership has missed it. People have responded. Like say, what happened to Dr. Dan? I mean, I, I know he, you know, he's a busy guy, but you got to get you back on the show with him. So here we are. You know, it's funny. I've, I've heard the same thing. Uh, I miss chatting with you. I've really been looking forward today. I know our quick conversation yesterday, just the plan was, uh, was a good teaser, man, because I, I missed chatting with you over the holidays. And I've got a lot of that same feedback. There's something there's something good going on here. People are connecting with the work that we're doing, and uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about how we're going to keep doing that. Yeah, uh, as an aside, one of a friend of mine who could you know speak, uh, say whatever he wanted to me says, I really like the podcast you do with Dr. Dan better because they're less theoretical, they're more real. So I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I, I do have the tendency to be the rabbi when I'm on my own talking to a microphone by myself in a closet. You know, like we, we tend to pontificate in those situations, but I, I like being on with you because it keeps it real and we both get to talk about, you know, what we're doing and then bring those ideas together to, to share them with a, with a, a friend. So I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah. yeah. So what do I got going on? Uh, just a few things. Um as, as like you, I'm counseling people. Uh, that's my kind of primary focus uh, every day on Zoom or on the phone. Do you do you have uh, clients in person these days? Um, well, I, I usually do, but not this week. This week, uh, as I was saying, I, I caught a little bit of the COVID. So resting a little bit, seeing some clients. Um, ever since uh, we, you know, came out of, or, you know, started coming out of COVID, um, a lot of my caseload has, you know, it's been about half and half, half in the office, half virtual. So um, it's kind of nice that way. Yeah, no, I, I look forward to the days when I mix it up again. Right now, it's for me, it's all virtual or phone. Um, mm. And so uh, doing that, but also have a couple different podcasts, I have the Soul Center podcast, and I'm starting a new project called The Defiant Spirit, inspired by our shared mentor and teacher, Victor Frankel. And um, a few other things going on, but um, nothing's more important to me than jumping on these calls with you and uh, hashing out some good conversation. Agreed. It's an interesting, uh, I'm going to go a little bit inside baseball, inside uh, psychotherapy here for the, for the audience, if they, if they're interested, right? So you talked about, you've been, you've been virtual in your sessions for how long now? Two years. 
My goodness. And I know that is a big conversation or or was a big conversation and, and still tends to be with a, a lot of us. Um, that's exhausting, right? Like we get into this field because we enjoy the one-on-one or two-on-one interaction, working with people face-to-face live in, in, in an office. There's a different atmosphere. And I know for me, uh, if, if I have to do an entire week or weeks virtual, it's it's taxing. How is that for you? It's interesting. I would have felt two years ago it would have been impossible, like unheard of. Um, what I feel now is maybe, I don't know, you know, I, I, I understand um, that there's a phenomenon out there when you can't have access to one of your, um, you know, abilities like sight that you develop even more your ability to hear mm-hmm. and vice versa. I imagine that's true. It doesn't strike me as anything but true. That's been my experience with this, where I think I've really developed a capacity to go deeper, um, shut my eyes, especially on the phone calls. That's been the most interesting. I think I go deeper on phone calls than I do on Zoom calls. And it's even one more step removed from, you know, kind of seeing a person. And, and yet the intimacy that has been staggering to me, like I've gone really deep. I, I like to think my clients feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I don't, I don't know what to do with that other than to say, I kind of think sometimes it's like Freud must have been when you had people on the couch, you weren't mm-hmm. even looking at the psychoanalyst, and maybe you could go into something that you couldn't um, in person, or maybe it's just something I tell myself because I, I can't, you know, I, I miss being with people. I don't know what it is. You know, I think that's an interesting point, and maybe maybe that's it right there. Maybe that's what I find to be, and, and many other ther- therapists I've talked to find to be so taxing or exhausting is because I agree. I think sometimes we do go deeper when we're removed from that person because we're forced to work harder. And we really have to ask deeper questions and explore in different ways rather than just kind of reading the room with the person there. And that's that's been some fascinating work for me. I know it's definitely opened me up to um, a larger opportunity. People that leave from where I'm based can still, you know, it used to be when you would move well, you have to find a new therapist and start all over and reshare that. Well, Zoom and, and and every you know all the other technologies, the technology we're using today has changed that, and I think it's definitely opened opened the world up to logotherapy. We've heard it's hard to find a logotherapist. Well, not anymore. You got two here. That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, let's just continue on this because I think it's so fascinating. Um, I'm passionate about communication as are you, but the deeper kind of, for me, mystical, spiritual roots, you know, over and over again, it says in the Bible, um, listen, 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 it's, it's, there's a central prayer in Judaism. Most Jews are terrible with prayer and they like, they just, it doesn't resonate. They don't know how to do it. They don't remember anything from their child, but they remember this one line. And actually Dr. Frankel um, mentions it in, I believe, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, but it's the Lord's Prayer, and uh, it's the equivalent of the Lord's Prayer. It's the Shema Yisrael. And this was the, he said it actually in Man's Search for Meaning that, um, that in going into the gas chambers, the Jews would say the Lord's, uh, the Shema Yisrael, and um, Christians would say the Lord's Prayer, and this is how they would meet their maker. But the Shema Yisrael means listen, Israel, listen, Jewish people, listen. And over and over again, there's this motif all throughout the Bible of listening and listening and these past two years of COVID have really taken me into a deeper capacity to listen. 
um, for a thousand different reasons, but I attribute some of it to what you just said, being on the phone, being on Zoom, really focusing in more and listening more, because if you don't do that on a Zoom call or a phone call, it's just impossible to create intimacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I think it's been a very powerful season of change for, for what we do and and maybe, you know, the next evolution of, of what we're able to do. So now I'm curious, that is something you and I have talked about is your um, your background, Jewish mysticism. Did I get that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Kabbalah is the fancy word for it. People know Kabbalah. Or Kabbalah. What, for, for my audience that is used to hearing me talk more about, you know, traditional psychotherapy and, you know, I'll, I'll get into some existentialism. And, you know, certainly I've talked about spirituality before from a, a logotherapy point of view, but as well as my own perspective. But I think what you offer is obviously different. Let's talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? Well, so both as logotherapists, um, we, we appreciate Viktor Frankl's willingness to open up psychotherapy to something beyond this world, this reality, you know, we have the, the somatic, the body, we have the uh, psychic, the mind, uh, emotional space. And as, as you know, he also has this third element called the noetic. And the noetic, you know, we translate as spiritual. I, I think people don't realize what a revolutionary he was in introducing the noetic in saying that not only is there another dimension or aspect of who we are, but that is the true dimension or aspect of who we are, right? And the body breaks and the mind gets ill, but the noetic that we'll call it the spirit or the soul is always whole. And it's ultimately, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, it's not that we have a soul, we have a body, we are a soul, right? And I, and I love that because that's, without that, I don't know how we ultimately heal. I don't know how we ultimately get through the great losses of life without turning to that place of transcendent and ultimate truth. And so Kabbalah is just the study of that space. And what I really love about Kabbalah is it's a very sophisticated intellectual exploration of that space. It gives me language and tools to, to think deeper about it. I'll, I'll just say one last thing and then throw it back over to you. This is my biggest challenge with um, Logotherapy and Viktor Frankl. He opens the door to the noetic, but there's not a lot there to walk people through the door. Interesting. Tell me more about what you mean by that. He opens the door to, and, and you're right. I mean, he was revolutionary, a man outside his time. His peers looked at him and said, what do you mean a soul? We, we have this other, like, you know, they were so busy, Freud and Adler, and, and even in some ways, Jung were so busy reducing man to to drives and, and to try to reduce him to these one one or two identifiable, identifiable features. And, and Frankl said, no, 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 we, we can't reduce the human experience. We, we have to expand. We have to understand the whole person and, and that, you know, the consciousness, the, the soul, the mind, all of these things that we kind of take as soul. Yes. So you said he opens the door, but then doesn't give us the tools. So the first words that he says when he's freed from, I think it was, I don't know which camp he was in, Auschwitz maybe, uh, whatever camp he was liberated from. It says right at the end of man's search for meaning. I have to translate this as I speak it. So he says, it's from the Psalms. From the, from the, the narrowness I have called out to you. 
And he just, that's the first thing he does. And I thought, what an interesting Psalm to quote. And he was a deeply religious man. He was connected to his tradition. I wouldn't say he was observant, but he, he was respectful. He was versed. He comes from a, li a line of mystics, of Kabbalists. Um, mm -hmm. His family traces back many generations of rabbis in Kabbalah. So he was very versed. And if you look throughout his work, there's lots of references to Jewish, Jewish texts, Kabbalistic texts. But those words are so striking because from the narrowness, I've called out to you. And the word he uses, Yah, which is uh, one of the names of God, is literally means expansion. Mm. And so, you know, he was, he was in narrowness, of course, concentration, literally, right? Narrow, confinement. And he was never, however, reduced. He was never confined. I think of Mandela who said, I was in prison I was in prison, but I was never imprisoned. Mm -hmm, right. And and Frankel, all of his work revolves around this idea of the outside world tried to reduce him, but he was always liberated because of that place of Yah, of divinity, of expansion. That's all God, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter what you call this experience. That's the spirit, right? That's the noetic. And I think our work is to tap into that when the world constantly tries to crush you, reduce you, constrict you to find that place of expansiveness. How? That's where Dr. Frankel falls short. There's not a lot of hows in logotherapy. And I've had to turn to mindfulness meditation from the Buddhist practice and Kabbalistic principles from Jewish practice to find some hows. And that's my space. Now that's interesting. As I heard you say that, I said, you know, I thought to myself, that is the first hundred pages of man's search for meaning, right? As he is in the concentration camps, telling you his experience. You know, we both know he once he was liberated, he wrote that within the first two weeks of being out because he had so much on his mind. He knew he just had to get it out and get it on paper. He shares his experience, and, and I would challenge that if we dive into those first hundred pages of man's search for meaning that those are his hows, how he did it. And then, of course, the second part of man's search for meaning, logotherapy in a nutshell, he defines it a, a bit more, but you're right. There's not a lot to it. And I think I think most of us practitioners would agree. He gives us, um, I, I think, in a field that is so often heavy in technique and modality, we often look for a, a, a manual in that. Rather, I think the greatest technique he gives us is Socratic dialogue mm -hmm. in that it's just the act of, of the conversation and the question. And maybe we can take in some Rogerian work there and talk about just being present with our client. Um, mm -hmm. That, in my opinion, often transcends a lot of technique. You're so right. And, you know, everything's contextual. I can't stand when we take people out of context and judge them by our vantage point. And this is something he says in his work, right? You can't know how you'd respond in the Holocaust or any situation unless you're in the situation. So I don't want to pass judgment on him. I'm, I'm really, and, and I know you know this, I'm just saying it, you know, for my conscience. Um, I, I want to evolve the work that he's done and we all have strengths and limitations. And I don't, so, so the context that he was operating in was resistance and almost a revolution against too many hows too authoritative and prescriptive, you know, work of psychotherapy. And he was right on. The problem is, is I think there's also another extreme, which is, you know, he had his house, 
but they weren't necessarily translated into something that's replicable by somebody else for good reason. But then what do I do when I want practice, spiritual practice, when I want tools, when I want strategies, I end up at the Zen Center. I end up at the Kabbalah Center. I don't end up at the Frankel Center. Because mm-hmm. it really mm-hmm. So it's a fine line. How do you replicate and sustain something without creating a system? How do you keep the spirit of something when you have the system? It's an it's a very difficult thing. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I think that is one of the difficulties of our field right now that we're facing. I know the um, uh, Victor Frankel Institute out of uh, Abilene, Texas, that we're I believe we're both members of. They sponsor the the World Congress every two years. Um, we are facing a transition of leadership. The good Dr. Barnes passed away last year. The board is trying to figure out where where logotherapy in the United States goes. And we also are looking at the beginning of the Victor Frankl Institute of America, I think, which is headed by his grandson, Alex Vesely. Um, so when it comes to leadership and direction, yes, we're, we're looking at, wow, where does this field go? Um, in my opinion, what a wonderful and exciting time to do exactly what you just said to continue to grow and evolve the field of logotherapy and, and how we help not only individuals and people one-on-one in our offices, but how we help our communities and, and ideally the world. So there's an interesting thing that happened in Jewish history. There used to be this temple and it occupies like three-fifths of the entire Bible, the description of this temple, the Jerusalem, if you've ever when you come there with me, Dan, we're going to go visit the Western Wall. It's the it's the remaining fragment of the original temple built by Solomon thousands of years ago. Well, it was destroyed in the year 70 CE, and the rabbinic tradition decided they weren't going to rebuild the temple. Instead, they were going to create little temples wherever Jews were exiled to, which is why, probably not too far from you in Indianapolis, there's quite a few synagogues or temples. Mm-hmm. That's why they're in here. They're temples wherever Jews went. It was a it was partially because they didn't have access to Jerusalem, but also strategic. Instead of concentrating our power in one place, we're going to survive. And the Jewish people have survived 2000 years in the diaspora because of this pivot. And this pivot was we need to create pockets of this wherever we go for sustainability. And I would say that's where we're at with um, the whole Frankel Piece because when he was alive, he was the temple for logotherapy, right? There was no need for a second. But now that he's gone and there's no concentration of power, there's no cult of personality, we've got to replicate this to create a sustainable infrastructure system so people have access to this. Without him, it's not going to survive. Okay. So first of all, yes, I'm in. Uh, I'm not sure when we're booking that trip, but uh, <laughs> you as a t- first of all, I think we need to open that one up because the, uh, the, the the Jewish rabbi and the Catholic kid taking a group of people to the Holy Land to tour. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. Um, I, you know, hearing you, it, it, it was really kind of connected with me really well. You uh, coming back to some of your biblical understanding really helped me. You know, I, I just wrapped up reading the Bible in a year, doing the whole um, study and podcast last year. So I've I would like to say I went deep. I didn't go deep. I went long, right? Because I got the whole thing in in a year and now it's time to go deep. But I remember what you're talking about and the idea of, you know, of of breaking the the big temple into little temples to to attend to everybody in exile and connecting that to Dr. Frankel's work and, and how he did that 
through the concentration camps. Now, it's it's amazing how we can do this. Did you see what just happened? All I did is ask you, hey, B, what do you, what do you got going on this year? And, uh, <laughs> we, we, we left, left course. This, this. <laughs> no, I don't even know what the course is. Um, but I, I'm thinking of the conversation I had with my friend last week. And that's similar to what your buddy said. Like, you guys got something really cool going on there. I don't always know what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, Mark, <laughs> I don't think we do. Let's stop a topic out there. And, and there we go. So what the topic was, and we, we definitely wanted to share some of these ideas. What do you got planned this year? Well, where are you going to take logotherapy or your career this year? Okay, so that, but so we're not totally off course. We're crabbing, as he would say, in the airplane, right? Coming back to uh, to our center by overcompensating. Um, and you then know what? That's one of my favorite videos to show in group is is him talking about flying and his accent as he says crabbing. I, I can't even get it right, man. But oh, I speak. I, I, I speak love it, that story. I, I speak an amazing accent with a little English. With a um, little English, yes. So uh, and then I'm going to ask you what you're doing because this can't just be about me. Um, but that's what I'm, I want to do. I want to find ways. I'm interested in sustainability in every area of life, not just the environment, but like financial. I'm very interested in conscious capitalism. I'm interested in a sustainable spirituality, not go to your church, go to your synagogue and then check out for 364 days. How do you integrate this stuff into your life? And I'm interested in a sustainable logotherapy. How do we scale this? How do we create it so that people have access to it? They can bring it into their personal life and to, you know, community. And so to answer your question, I'm going to spend my year really working on different ways to scale this message, whether it's podcasts, starting a few different groups. Um, I don't know, but I'm really devoted to that in 2022. That's awesome. I love the idea of group. Um, you know, my career started running groups for adolescent substance abuse clients. Um, and, and these are some pretty intense clients. And, uh, oh, man, sorry. Just I, I just... <laughs> I'm sad to report. I just uh, I just found out this week that we actually lost one of those young people from 20 years ago. That's uh, that was really kind of sad to remember. But um, so yeah, these these were some pretty you know. Having said that, uh, these are some pretty difficult kids, and a group atmosphere. You know, uh, a, a 30 year old therapist fresh out of his first few years after grad school trying to help teenagers. They were not hearing it from me one on one. But I tell you what, in, in having that kind of group atmosphere and that group attitude and, and having those kids hold each other accountable is so powerful. And, and I do the same thing now in a men's group, working with men. Um, man, we, we just we don't talk enough as men. Right. Uh, kind of like what you and I did yesterday to catch up. But, and even today, um, I think as therapists, we, we know this. We know we need to have good, supportive men around us. And, and to have those interactions. Um, unfortunately, most of us don't know that. You know, the group I lead, I talk to those guys. I say, look, when you get done here, this is only 12 or 15 weeks. Come back, check back in. You can see bonds form that never would have formed in, in a work environment or something like that. And the opportunity just to ask questions like, hey, uh, my, my teenager's doing this. Is that is that normal? You know, if we don't have that opportunity or, or my partner or my spouse, I'm having difficulties here. Have you ever experienced that? Mm -hmm. Those connections, that ability just to ask those questions of another man or a group of men can be so powerful. Well, especially because logotherapy hinges upon it. You know, this is another divergent place from 
more traditional uh, psychotherapies. Self-actualization, the top of the pyramid is not the top of the pyramid, right? There's a step beyond that, which is self-transcendence, but you can't transcend alone. And so you can't do this work without the, you know, the, the spaces and the places and the community. And what you're talking about, that's what, that's what I want to be doing is helping to create those opportunities, those groups, those communities, whatever it might be, because especially men are dying for those conversations, those connections. And I would, I would say that's not even just a figure of speech. Men are literally dying of, of poor health. Uh, you know, we, we know, uh, you know, research in the past 10 years has told us that men in unhealthy relationships limit their lifespan by anywhere from five to 10 years. But then we also know male suicide is up, you know, stress and pressure and, and, and work related issues, alcoholism, substance abuse, when we're not taking care of ourselves, when we're not getting the help we need, which we unfortunately have a tendency to do as men, um, you know, we just rub a little dirt on it and move on. Uh, well, that doesn't that doesn't work today anymore. So I'm right there with you. Um, um, and maybe that's a question we ask here. How, you know, I, I think the, the year is young. We continue to explore how do we get those groups, those communities? How do we reach out and help more people, more men? Yeah, we, we're putting that out there. It's not just a rhetorical question, right? How do we? Please uh, hit us up in uh, you know our respective sites and let us know what you're thinking. I also want to just say something because um, I'm sure I'll get an email or a question about, well, what about women? Like, you know, don't women deserve a seat at the table? Of course. But here's my challenge is that I sit at those tables. I go to yoga and it's me and like 29 women. I go to the Zen Center sometimes and it's me and 17 women. I go to a class over at Naropa University and it's me and like three guys and 42 women. And I, women are finding their way to the table. Um, I would argue it's because they are more spiritually, naturally inclined. I would argue because they're more um, wired for and interested in my experience for communication. So I want women to be at the table too. They're finding their way. It's the guys that aren't finding their way. And I think that we do a disservice to the women in the world by not providing a table for the guys. So I just want that to be out there, um, that this is to make everybody better, but men are not finding their way to those tables. No, I think you're exactly right. In, in psychotherapy, we know that a large percentage of, of people that come to see psychotherapists are women because they know how to ask for help. They know when it's time and they often seek help sooner than men do. The average man takes months, maybe years after recognizing there's a problem before asking for help. Come on, it's been jokes for how many decades that we won't even stop and ask for directions. Um, you know, well, it's not a joke anymore that, that we won't stop and ask for help with our own mental health. Well, thank God for ways. Yes. Yes. I'm more of a Google Maps guy. So <laughs> I'm with you. But Waze is an Israeli company. I'm a Zionist. So I try and support them. But, uh, nah, okay. Really understandable then. Um, so yes. And I, I'm writing down right now, we have another show topic called vulnerability, right? There's a whole thing around vulnerability in men. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I don't want to keep going down different topics in one show. So I want to come back to, so that's a lot of what I'm up to. What is Dr. Dan up to this year? Yeah. So one of the things I shared with my audience a couple of weeks ago, uh, rather than setting 
uh, New Year's resolutions and SMART goals this year. I just came up with a couple words I want to live by, a couple things I want to take care of on a daily basis, right? Balance, discipline, those are two big things for me, just trying to make sure I'm balancing all facets of health, but then also family responsibilities, right? It's really easy to turn inward and take care of myself, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health. But, you know, to make sure I'm, I'm balancing that with family responsibilities. My uh, my oldest is off to college and is a sophomore right now. My youngest is a junior in high school and will be on her way soon. So I really want to embrace enjoying uh, these transitional years with them. Um, and then for me, discipline. Man, I've got such a collection of books that I need to get through. So I need to have the discipline to stop buying more. And the discipline to wake up a little bit early and keep reading. So that was that was my last year was my goal. I got up early every day, did my uh, my Bible in a year, wanted to fully embrace that. And uh, this year, I'm, I'm just carrying that over. I keep with those early mornings, keep reading, uh, building daily. You know, rather than uh, intermittent exercise, some daily exercise. So those are two of my big ones: balance and discipline. Yeah, I appreciate when, this. Thanks, oh, thanks a lot, brother. Because now my wife's going to listen to this and go, "Wait a minute." <laughs> Dan asked you, and all you talked about was your professional goals, and this mensch is talking about taking care of the family, schmuck. <laughs> well, first of all, honor to be called a mensch by you, so thank you. Um, my, my Jewish friends from uh, from college are greatly going to appreciate that, and I can feel their eyes rolling already. So, yeah, well, and, and but that also that that carries over into professional, right? Because it's very easy to get professional out of balance. And I need discipline in these next two, which is going to be um, speak. And, you know, I've been in practice for 25 years now. Uh, hopefully helped a lot of people. Um, but I, as we've talked about, there are a lot more out there that, that need to know about this. That was the thing I said constantly and maybe to the frustration of many of my professors through my logotherapy work was, man, more people need to know about this. Um, and that's why I started up the Meeting Project podcast back two years ago, year and a half ago. Um, and that's been great. And connecting with you has been amazing. But I think also while we continue to do this, um, I want to get, get out there on bigger stages and, and share this information. Specifically, I feel, and this is probably a little bit of bias on my part, but I know our college kids need to hear this message. That age group of incoming freshmen and, and sophomores and juniors that um, graduated through COVID, maybe started their freshman year, um, were isolated, alone, didn't get that first initial college experience, might be struggling with some mental health. But as you and I know, the greatest struggles can be some of our greatest achievements. And I think they need to hear that. Yeah, no, I, I wrote down resilience. Um, I feel like that is a word for 2022. I keep mm -hmm. coming back to uh, at being, you know, over in Naropa taking some classes. Yeah, I hadn't, it's been a while since I've been in a, you know, a formal academic setting. And I just realized like there's a lot of, there's a lack of resilience or at least conversations around mm -hmm. resilience and, and, and uh, intention to, treat that as a discipline because it is a discipline to cultivate resilience and you know logotherapy is really designed for that particular space and i think for the age group you're focused on is perfect all of it comes together yeah that that idea of resilience the last uh, uh logotherapy world congress we had um, it wasn't this year because we were virtual but so it would have been two years ago that was the main topic dr stephen southwick if i remember correctly um, had some amazing research and a great book that's somewhere behind me 
another one that needs to be written or read. Um, but you know, the, the main thing I got out of skimming that book and listening to him, resilience can be taught. It's not some magical force that, that just comes down and we're, is bestowed upon us, but it's something we have to practice daily. Um, and, and by learning that, whether it's our students or, or our organizational leaders, because that's the other area I want to get into, um, by cultivating that, by learning that, by practicing that, we are ready for the next difficult thing that will happen. Because I assure you, as difficult as two years of a world pandemic has been, you know, this isn't the last difficulty we're all going to face. Hundred um, percent. A friend of mine and I are doing a podcast. I don't want you to think I'm uh, cheating on you. I got a couple of different podcasts, um, and it's called Money and Soul. He's a financial planner, but we're seeing a lot of this um, need for resilience around money because mm -hmm. you know, like, just look at the stock market the last couple of days. It's fluctuating, and you know, if our identity and our meaning is all tied up in those numbers and those pixels on the screen and that graph going in one direction up, we're going to be in for a world of hurt. How do you find resilience, right? In the markets and money and the material things in life. It's mm -hmm. dangerous stuff. Got to be on the lookout and aware of it. Man, I am looking forward to hearing that podcast. That sounds interesting. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm more self-conscious on that one. He's got a good set of hair. So, you know, like for us, it's like uh, I look across you know, the so you and we we often joke with our audience that we do need to talk about that. So so B, I have to ask. I mean, are you full shave or are you just uh, Clippers? Um, yeah, I'm the Clippers. I don't use a straight edge now. Oh, okay, um, I, I did a couple times. My wife said I look terrible. I've <laughs> well, definitely looks good on you. Yeah, after a week of COVID, I was getting shaggy, and I uh, I had to get dressed up for you here today, man. I couldn't handle it anymore. You're blurry, but you look good. I think. Um, <laughs> So what? So you got? Uh, so you want to focus on kind of a college age kid, a larger platform? Um, yes. So the, and that's actually that's that was uh, today's work is uh, ideally. Um, so I've been contacting a lot of colleges and universities, and I will hopefully be speaking at one of the regional conferences for the orientation. It's called NOTA. But and it, it, the acronym doesn't fit, but it is for orientation and transition professionals. And then there's also NACA, which is the Association for Campus Activities. Um, hopefully talking to them about bringing mental health and meaning to different colleges and campuses. And then while working on that today, I was also working on um, my other passion for, for teaching mental health and meaning is to uh, organizational leaders. Um, I've done that by, by good fortune and chance for probably about the past 10 years. Had opportunities to work with uh, 3M and the Office of National Drug Control Policy and uh, some local schools and, and businesses. And I just love, you know, first of all, you know, I'm a, and this will be another topic. I'm a fan of the Myers-Briggs. You're a fan of the Enneagram. We'll yeah. talk about that. Um, but I love bringing the Myers-Briggs to organizations that need it. But then with that, I can always sneak in a little mental health and meaning. That's and uh, right now we know um, workplaces are in, they're struggling. Work groups, work environments, people that used to have an office for the past two years have been working for home. Mental health is struggling and, and people are losing a sense of meaning. So um, I sent out two proposals today to the Indiana and Michigan Society for Human Resources Managers to, uh, to bring that to them. So we'll see how that goes. That's fantastic. I uh, sounds like there's some really good 
good work ahead for you in this year. And you're also going to take care of yourself. So those are two important uh, pieces of the equation. Good. And then, uh, you know, I guess as we wrap up, we have a lot, I've written down five or six more topics, so we're not going to run out of stuff to talk about for sure. Awesome. Um, but I also want to end, I guess, on the opposite side of how I began. You asked me about the virtual piece and how I felt. And, you know, I did talk about how it, I do think it can create intimacy, but no, there's no replacement for in-person. And you and I had floated the idea about working towards an in-person gathering at some point, maybe here in the Rocky Mountains, maybe in Indiana, but really kind of building towards something. And I would just put that out to our listeners that we're open, right? I think I speak for both of us. We're we're interested in going wherever this uh, this the noetic takes us. And maybe that's to an in-person retreat at some point. Yeah, I think that is the vision we have ideally, but of course our audience together is probably far smarter than just the two of us. So maybe putting it out to them, like, yeah, that's the vision I would have is, man, I would love to come out to Colorado and hang out. If you're a fan of golf, that's about all we have here in Indiana. There are no mountains and all the golf courses are flat. Um, but it can be pretty at times. <laughs> and uh, either one of those locations, you know, would there be people that want to join us to just, you know, to have a couple days to discuss this and, and enjoy the scenery where we live. I think that would be awesome. But then what other opportunities do people have? How would they want to participate in, in a deeper conversation? Because as we experienced in the first 10 minutes, you and I can get pretty deep pretty fast, but boy, I wonder what would happen if you give us a day or a weekend together, what we could come up with. Yes, I, I look forward to figuring that out. So, well, brother, it's, uh, as always, such a wild ride and a joy to be with you on these calls. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. I, I feel like, you know, that was maybe 10 or 20 seconds. I know that was the feedback I got from anybody that listens to this while they run or drive. They said, boy, that run just took, you know, two minutes, but it was actually two miles. So um, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, B. Uh, I look forward to, to, to the other topics you wrote down and uh, to seeing where 2022 takes us. Onwards and upwards. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Take care, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. I would love to hear from you, to get to know you, to set up a discovery call, to see how we might work together. I work with clients across the world by phone or Zoom to discover deeper meaning and greater purpose at what I call life's tees. Tests, transitions, trials, traumas, tragedies. If you're at one of life's tees and you're looking for deeper meaning and greater purpose, then please reach out to me and I can help you discover, awaken, and live the defiant power of your spirit. Until we meet, Shalom, Salam, Namaste, peace.